Mark chapter 5. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Beginning in verse 21, it says, Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My daughter, my little daughter, lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, that she may be healed And she will live. And Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And Father, we pray, as we always do, that you would teach us by your spirit, your word, Lord. We believe, I believe, that this is the word of God. These things have been recorded and kept for our sake. I believe, Lord, as your word tells us that Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. We pray, Father, that you would increase our faith as we study your word once again. We thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us last week, you know that we ended our text last week with a multitude of people literally pleading with Jesus, begging Jesus to leave their territory. I I can't even imagine that, you know, a bunch of people saying, please leave, we don't want you here, just leave. And that's what they were doing, you know. You would think that they would have been happy for this fellow that had uh, a legion of demons within him. Jesus delivers him from the demons, and there he is sitting in in his clothes, in his right mind, you know, he's he's perfect. I mean, he's complete now, no longer in under the bondage of the demonic. But the people, of course, it says that they were afraid when they saw that. And I mentioned last week, it's, it's kind of silly what causes people to be afraid. You wonder what they were more afraid of, the man when he was demon-possessed and a man that they could not control. They tried to bind him, but they could not. He would break the chains and the shackles. Or the man that was in his right mind and and touched by Jesus and and delivered. You wonder sometimes. Our text begins today with Jesus now going back across the Sea of Galilee. And as he makes his way now across back where he came from, um, there's a multitude of people. Once again, a multitude of people. But these people are excited that Jesus has come into their region. And, you know, we're told this, we see this in our text, but we also see it in one of the synoptic gospels. In Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So I can't help but think of the fact that, you know, people value Jesus differently. Everyone kind of has their own value system. And some people said, oh, just leave. We don't want you here. We're afraid. You know, you're, you've caused us uh, a loss, you know, 2,000 swine have been murdered, you know, and uh, we, we want you to leave because it, it cost us to have you in our region. And other people, they say, oh, please come back. We're so glad you're here. In fact, we've been waiting for you. And uh, Jesus is valued differently by different people. It was true then. It's, it's true today. And I think the question that I would begin with is how do you value Jesus you know, we could say, we could live, do lip service. We're good at that. We could say all the right things. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's seen in our life. It's manifested in our life uh, what we truly believe, how we value Jesus. Is he the last resort or is he the first one that we go to, that we call out to, that we pray to? Well, this man, Jairus, he's a ruler of the synagogue. He's one of the rulers of the synagogue. So he's not the ruler of the synagogue, one of the rulers of the synagogue. And the ruler of the synagogue, they would take care of the logistics of the synagogue. Of course, this was a place of worship for the Jews. Anywhere outside of Jerusalem, if they were in Jerusalem, there was a temple. That's where they would worship. But outside of Jerusalem, they would have these synagogues wherever you had, I believe it was 10 or more male 
Jewish men, there would be a synagogue. You would be able to establish a synagogue. And so the ruler of the synagogue would come in and he would get things ready for the service, for the classes that would be held there. And we're not told this. Again, it's, it's only speculation. It's kind of, I have a question when I read it. But I wonder if it was the same synagogue where Jesus, early on in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus had healed the man on a Sabbath in the synagogue. Remember, he had the withered hand. And Jesus asked him to do something that was physically impossible for him to do. Reach out your hand. And he reached out his hand. His hand was whole, healed. And I wonder if, if Jairus was there in the synagogue on that day, if it was the same synagogue. And if so, that would explain the faith that Jairus has. What I'm trying to explain, guys, a lot of people want to make walking with Jesus such a mystical type of thing. You could almost hear the twilight music playing in the background. Not twilight, twilight zone music playing in the, I got to clarify that. We have different age groups now. But uh, twilight zone music playing in the background. And, you know, it's, it's all eerie and, you know, mystical and everything else. And I think that, you know, Walking with Jesus for many decades now, it's practical. It's very practical. Of course, God moves miraculously, but everything is not a miraculous thing. Sometimes things are just really simple logic. And I think that if, you know, if he saw this healing, if he was there to witness the healing of this man's withered hand, now your daughter is sick, Jesus is back in the area, you've heard that he's back in the area, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to go find Jesus because you know what he could do. You know what he's done. You've seen it. You've been an eyewitness of it. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come. He says, come. And as we just read, Jesus immediately begins to follow him. There's no hesitation from Jesus. He begins to follow him. But but things aren't moving as quickly as Jairus would have hoped. Guys, there was a multitude of people thronging Jesus or compressing Jesus. Have you ever been in a, a you know, large uh, group and uh, maybe you're waiting in line? I think of when I was a kid, you know, teenager, uh, we would go to concerts all the time, growing up in San Diego and... and um, None of the concerts were these small little venues. There were always some gigantic, you know, arena or, or something like that, stadium or something like that. And you would be in a, you would just be, you know, crushed as you're waiting to get into line, uh, you know, to get into the, the, the location. And I picture all of these people, they're pressing around Jesus. Now, Jairus is close enough to where he's spoken to Jesus. They're on their way. But people are, are pressing in around Jesus. The point is, they're moving slowly. Things aren't moving very quickly. And it's not hard to put yourself in Jairus's sandals and to consider the sense of urgency that he felt. My daughter is sick. She's dying. Every moment counts. We've got to move. Let's go. Let's go. I don't know that Jairus said such things, but I'm sure he was thinking such things. It's not hard to imagine what Jairus was feeling. Any parent could identify with the emotions attached to a sick and dying child, the sense of urgency. Well, look at verse 25. It goes on. It says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. So, so now we have another delay. Well, you say, that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's how maybe Jairus might have looked at it. The way Jesus looked at her was, here's another person in need. Here's a person who has a condition. She needs Jesus' attention. She needs something from Jesus. And so she comes into the scene. You could just see the drama here. It says, verse 26, and she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, look at that, camp on that for a moment. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. 
For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And then the next verse tells us, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And then the next verse, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Guys, this woman, we don't know much about her. We know that she's had a condition that has plagued her life for 12 years. She's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And I'll touch on the ramifications of that from a legal standpoint, not civil law, but God's law in in a moment. I want you to think about her. It says, when she heard about Jesus. Again, guys, it's very practical. Walking with Jesus is very practical. When she heard about Jesus, it wasn't like she woke up one morning and said, I think I need to go down by the shoreline. I think this is my day. No, when she heard about Jesus. When you read the Bible, do you you think about the things you're reading? Do you consider, do you kind of, of course, you know, we're, reading into the text. I mean, we have what we have in the text, but of course we don't have every word that was spoken. We don't have every detail of the event. We just have what the Holy Spirit wants us to have so that we might get the gist of the account, the story. But I wonder, you know, I picture this woman. She's maybe standing afar off. She sees this multitude of people. They're all leaving the village, the town. If it was Capernaum, Maybe they were all going out to the shore there. Maybe she asked someone from a distance, where are you going? Jesus is here. Jesus is back. Didn't you hear? Jesus has made his way back. He's, he's here. We're going down to meet him on the shore. He's, he's coming in right now on the boat. And maybe she asked the question, well, who's Jesus? You know, guys, I think that we make the assumption that everyone has heard about Jesus, even in our culture. But I meet people that have never heard about Jesus. I mean, guys, things are different than they used to be. There's a lot of parents that are hip and with it and woke. And they don't want to impress anything on their children. They want their children to come to their own conclusions, not like their horrible parents did and push church on them or the Bible on them or something like that. And so there's a lot of people that are coming up, that are growing up, that have no understanding of Jesus whatsoever people need jesus it's important that we tell people about jesus the jesus of the bible it says that she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment now according to the law to god's law the woman was ceremonially unclean i'll read a text for you leviticus fifteen nineteen. if a woman has a discharge and the discharge from her body is blood, she shall be set apart seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Now, it doesn't mean that she's dirty. You know, you say unclean. She's not dirty. It's ceremonially unclean. And, and guys, again, you know, people want to criticize the Bible because they don't understand the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't care about the Bible. But when you look at what's clean and unclean, when you're a student, not of just the New Testament or the verses that you like, but the whole Bible, then you realize that all of this, all of the Old Testament points to Christ. Every, every clean and unclean and all of this stuff and everything being sanctified by blood and all of this, it all points to Jesus. All of it points to Jesus. So the Christian who knows the Old Testament, like they know the New Testament, we read it and we say, oh boy, look how the puzzle pieces fit together. I mean, we would have no understanding whatsoever of the cross, of the, you know, Jesus as the Lamb of God, you know, none of that if we did not understand the Old Testament. But because the Lord has given us the Old Testament, we understand and appreciate and love the New Testament, and what Jesus had accomplished. But the woman, she had this condition, not for seven days or a few days, which made her unclean for 
seven days, her condition had lasted for 12 years. So I want you to think of that, 12 years of being set apart. 12 years of separation, 12 years of suffering alone. 12 years of never being invited to a barbecue or to someone's house. 12 years of, of, of really being on your own. I mean, this is a sad, sad story because she had a sad, sad condition. She was like Jairus, you know, when she came to Jesus, it was kind of this all-or-nothing approach because she had nowhere else to turn. She went to the physician, she went to many physicians, but they couldn't help her. And she had spent all, all that she had, all of her money, and she wasn't getting better. She was just getting worse. So she was at the end of a rope. I mean, there's nowhere else to turn. Maybe, maybe you could identify with that. Isn't it sad that Jesus is the last resort for so many? He shouldn't be, but he is. I'll make this happen. I can get through this. I can do this. I can manage this. I'll do this. I'll do that. And we just work up a sweat trying to make it through life. And Jesus is just standing there at the door saying, if you open the door, I'll come in to you. I wonder if the woman thought of the danger of approaching Jesus. Because remember, she was ceremonially unclean. So that means as she made her way into the crowd, because the crowd is thronging Jesus, they're compressing Jesus, they're all around Jesus as she's making her way through the crowd, every person she touched, every person she brushed up against became unclean until sunset. Again, from the Christian perspective, guys, you know, Nehemiah prayed it. He had no idea where I was going to go, but he says, help us to put away our pride. If there's one thing Christians have a lot of, it's pride. Because we act like everything revolves around us like it all began with us and we'll all end with us and and we just don't see things from a broader standpoint we would say well clean unclean that's ridiculous that's the law man we're not under the law no we're not under the law I'm glad we're not under the law but we still need to appreciate the fact that this woman was under the law and as a woman under the law a woman who was unclean it was dangerous for her to approach Jesus because if the people would have known that she was unclean, and surely there would have been people there to say, that's that lady. You know, the one that no one talks to, no one socializes with because she's unclean. She's got that issue, whatever her issue is. We just know that she's unclean. But I don't think she cared at the moment. I think, I think when you're desperate, you don't care about the logistics. You just... I just need to get to Jesus. And so she came to Jesus. By the way, guys, again, the Bible is very practical. This is why we haven't gotten to it yet. We'll get to it in a moment. But in verse 33, this is why she was fearing and trembling. Because she had just made all of these people unclean. <laughs> she wasn't fearing or trembling because she thought she had secretly stole a, a, a miracle or a healing from Jesus and oop, he found out about it. It was No, it was because she was being called out and she realized, oh no, this is it. Maybe I'll be rebuked for making all of these people unclean. In verse 29, it says, she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. I think of, I think of that, that she felt it. She felt it in her body. This is a condition she had for 12 years. She'd go to bed with this condition. She'd wake up in the morning with this condition. And on this particular day, she reaches out by faith. She just has faith. Why? Because I heard about Jesus. And based upon what I heard about Jesus, I think that he could help me. I think that he will help me. I think, I believe that if I could just come in and just touch his clothes, not even his person, just his clothes, the clothes that hang on his body. If I could just touch them, I'll be healed. Talk about faith. That's great faith. And she did. And yet, because of her fear, she did not rejoice, outwardly at least. She's hiding out. She's quiet. Jesus turns around, who touched me? There's no record of her in any of the synoptic gospels saying, I'm the one, I'm sorry. 
It was that Jesus turns around and looks and he sees her and then he begins to speak to her and she begins to speak to him. It's beautiful. Verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Isn't it funny how Jesus' disciples always wanted to correct him? You know, like, what are you saying, Jesus? You know, and, and I love the fact that Jesus, many times, he just completely ignored him. It's kind of like, you know, whatever, you know. And, and while he was still speaking, um, oh, I, I dropped down too far. Let me jump back to verse 32. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole did you catch that? I think many times we go right over those words. The point is, is that more time is, <laughs> is being eaten up. There's a longer delay. Why? I have a story to tell. Twelve years ago. <laughs> now, when a story begins with 12 years ago, you, you, you begin to fear, now, how much detail are we going to get in this story, you know, because 12 years ago, that's a, that's a long, you know. But, and she tells the story to Jesus. And verse 34, it says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of all your affliction. Beautiful. Oh, man. I, I love this biblical account. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, Jairus is still there. Jairus, Jairus is still waiting, maybe not so patiently, but he's waiting. My, my daughter, she's sick. I have no idea. I've been away from home now for quite some time. I've been waiting for you, Jesus. I spoke to you, Jesus. We moved very slowly until we were interrupted by this lady. You've had a long conversation with her. She's healed. Maybe as Jairus was watching all of that, his, his faith was encouraged. Do you think yours would be encouraged? If you're waiting in line to see Jesus, and all of the people, or even one person before you, got what they needed? Would, would your faith be peaked? I, mine would. I'd be, oh, wow, this is good. He's doing, he, he, he knew exactly what she needed, and, and the healing came to her. Well, if Jairus's faith was encouraged, I don't think the encouragement lasted very long. And the reason I say that is because look at the next verse, verse 35. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Could you imagine? I cannot imagine a worse, a worse announcement number of years ago, I remember getting the phone call, you know, I was playing with one of my grandsons, we were wrestling, and he's giggling and laughing, and, and uh, got the phone call, and, and it was um, my sister on the other end of the phone, and she said, dad is dead. I said, what? No, it's not like dad was in the hospital sick, dying, dad was just living his life, you know, and dad is dead. And those words, they're so final. You know, dad is dead. Your daughter is dead. Your wife is dead. I mean, it's just boom, you know. And, and, and it's so blunt. It was so blunt. It was so direct. And I think that the announcement would have destroyed any and all hope that Jairus might have had. Years ago, we were with a family in the church, and they lost their little girl, and it was so sad. It was, it was hands down one of the saddest experiences that I've ever gone through, that my wife and I had gone through with a couple. It was just so sad, because they had hope, they believed, they had faith, and the little girl just went from bad to worse, and then finally she died, and and we, we were there at the hospital, and so we, down in Tacoma, and so we, Tracy and I, 
took the couple home. So it was kind of an all-night thing. You know, we got back to the island probably 6 o'clock in the morning. And I remember just that feeling. It was just so final. It just, I felt so sad for mom and dad. And, and their heart, were, they were just so broken. And, you know, what do you say to people at times like that? And, and many times you can't say much. You just pray with them and you hug them and you love on them and you, you encourage them, you know. And, and then there was a memorial service and we had the memorial service here and then we went out to the gravesite. And it was the saddest experience I've ever experienced at a gravesite. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been with a lot of people who have, have died, you know. Either they've died, they didn't know the Lord, and that's always a sad thing because, you know, you talk about no hope. But the majority of the people I've been with, they were believers, and so they die, and, you know, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And, and so we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but it's still sad nonetheless. And I remember as we had the gravesite service, the parents could not leave the gravesite. For them, it was like the, that was it, to, to leave there. And they just couldn't get themselves to leave there. It was like they were just glued to that gravesite because at least that's where the body of their precious little girl was. And it was just so sad, so sad. I wonder if Jairus, I wonder if his hope turned into anger. Again, guys, many times people, they want to have this kind of silk-screened view of Christianity. You know, everyone in the Bible, they were perfect. Not true. Jesus is the only perfect one. Jesus is the only one without sin. Everyone else sinned. Everyone else was sinners. Human frailties, all of that. But I wonder if Jairus, I wonder if his hope gave way to anger. Maybe, maybe he thought to himself, I knew we were taking too long. That stupid woman. If she wouldn't have showed up, maybe we could have gotten there in time. Stupid woman. You say you're reading into the text. I am reading into the text. But I'm human. <laughs> and I know they were human. And I think that those human emotions and human you know, things that we feel and we think at different moments. You know, guys, sometimes people say things that just add insult to injury. I did this last week. I was talking to someone that was struggling with something, and I said something, and I've just been beating myself up all week uh, thinking of how the words sounded and how the words were not comforting. They probably were like a dagger to the heart. Now, I didn't mean to be malice I, I did, or to be mean-spirited when I said it. I just made a statement. And it was like it, it took, you know, a, a little bit for me to think about, oh, boy, you know what, that, that probably didn't sit well. When you're going through difficulties, when you're going through hardships, these men from who came from Jairus' home, this is what they said, why trouble the teacher any further? If you look at the Greek word, it means to flay. Do you know what that means? To flay, to skin, to remove the skin. You say, well, what does that mean? I don't, I don't understand that. Well, here's another word that you would understand. Um, harass. Why are you harassing the teacher? Don't harass the teacher any longer. She's dead. It's over. How do you think Jairus felt to hear that? Like, so that's what I'm doing here? I'm hassling, I'm, I'm harassing, I'm flaying Jesus because I came and I asked him for help? Is that, is that what it is? And, and you know what, guys? I am convinced that this is exactly what Satan wants us to believe when we call upon the Lord. He wants us to believe because I've heard, I've heard people over the decades that have said things like, I don't want to trouble the Lord with my problems. Well, if you don't trouble him, who are you going to trouble? And by the way, it's never a trouble for him. 
because he's got everything under control. But see, it's this mindset that, that, oh, there's other people with greater needs than mine, and so why should I? And, it's just, and I tell you, when you do that, you fall right into the hand of the enemy. He wants us to think that when we're calling out to the Lord, all we're doing is harassing him. It's just a waste of our time, or it's a waste of his time, and it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. And the reason the enemy wants us to believe that or to think that is because he knows that there's power when we approach Jesus, when we come to the Lord. Look at verse 36. It says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. That's beautiful, too. Boy, I, I just look at these things. Now, that would be cruel if it wasn't Jesus speaking, if it wasn't Jesus reassuring. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. You guys know that, that Jesus, it's not because he loved these three men anymore, but on three different occasions, he took these three men aside. Jairus' daughter, so those three went. The transfiguration, those three went. And the Garden of Gethsemane, remember the three went a little bit further when Jesus was agonizing in prayer. So why did he do that? I don't know. I just know that they had a very significant and important ministry. Of course, James didn't last very long, did he? But it was an important ministry. James, the first martyr taken out by Herod. It says, then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult or, or a uproar. And those who wept and wailed loudly. So can you picture this? Um, you know, guys, different nationalities, different groups of people. If you go to Israel, have you ever been to Israel? If you go to Israel and you listen to the Hebrew people talk, it's almost like going to Italy or some other place where you think that they're arguing. Why are these people so mad, you know? So which way is it to the bus station after all? Oh, you go this way. You know, I'm the Hebrew language, so you're not understanding the language. But the intensity of their voices as they're speaking to one another, you know. And then they shake hands, and you realize they're not fighting. They're just, just asking, you know, yes, it is a nice day. <laughs> I, I think of how different traditions, you know, you guys know, I've shared it many times, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if they've changed. Maybe they've changed. I haven't been around a, a Roman Catholic or a Roman Catholic funeral in a long time, but I'll tell you, they're over the top. It's, it's, it's so dramatic. It's so heavy. It's so depressing. It's so, you know, you're just kind of looking and waiting and wondering, what's going to happen next? Oh, no, there goes Aunt Susie. Oh, no, she's in the casket, you know. She's passed out. She, I mean, it's just over the top because there's no hope. There's no hope for many of these folks. It's religion. It's, you know, this is what we do. And so it's so dramatic and it's so heavy. We know that culturally... At the time of Jesus, they had hired mourners. And, you know, we've even had that in our own country. I mean, we don't have it today, but there was a time in our own country where you'd have hired mourners. Oh, so-and-so died. Could we have some <laughs> mourners that come out? So they show up. <laughs> was he a friend of you? I don't even know the guy. <laughs> you know, And this is what they do. You say, Dan, you're being too hard on these people. Well, look at, look at the next two verses. And when he came in and he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and, and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. They went from weeping to ridiculing. The word literally means to laugh down. The child's asleep, not dead. Oh, you, what a, you're a case, man. We do this for a living. Do you think we cry for living people or sleeping people? We, 
And they go from weeping and wailing to laughing and scorning Jesus. It's a game. It's something they think they need to do. And Jesus put them out. Get up. And I, I read the rest of verse 40. And to me, this is a verse, again, that I just kind of camp on. And I think about, I, I think of mom and dad. Now they come into the room. Maybe, maybe the little girl was stretched out on the bed. And they come in and they're looking at their, the lifeless body of their little girl. And mom, her, her, her thoughts would be probably just going, I remember when I gave birth to her. I remember the first time I looked into her eyes, you know, maybe something like that. And then dad, you know, he's, he's thinking, he's thinking of his thoughts. I don't know, you know, moms and dads were, were kind of different. You know, we have um, five kids, and they're all adults now, they're not kids. But we have all of our grandkiddos, and we sure love them. But, you know, as a father, I would, you know, I would play with my you know, babies when they were infants, but I could not wait until they started doing stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, what's like Joshua, our oldest son, I could not wait till he was old enough for us to get, no, for him to get <laughs> a slot car and, and uh, you know, big wheels and and we would, I mean, literally every night, and I'm not exaggerating, you could ask my wife, every night I would come home, Josh would have um, the uh, hot wheel, you know, thing, would hook the thing up on the table, and, and we'd have the two tracks, and we would race each other. And mine was the little black Porsche, and he liked a little red car. It was like uh, the Dukes of Hazard car, you know. And, and we would play with that. We would... Uh, he got it for Christmas, and so that Christmas we did a big deal about uh, Jesus's birthday, and we had balloons all over the house and a cake on Christmas that said "Happy Birthday, Jesus," because obviously we're trying to brainwash our children into believing that we're celebrating Jesus's birthday, which was anyway. We want them to be thinking about these things, you know, why do we do such and such, and so on and so forth, and so for. For a time, for probably that first week, we would we would take those balloons, and and we would tape little pins on the front of the um, um, Hot Wheel cars, so that we would know who the real winner was. Because the car that got there first would pop that balloon on the track. You know, I cannot wait till they're old enough to do that. My girls, you know. So sweet, girls are so different. And they just, they, I'll tell you, uh, if you have daughters, you're a blessed man. They're a challenge because many times as men, we kind of are trying to figure out, so, like, what do we do? And, and if your wife is like my wife, she says, treat them like you treat your sons, you know? It's the same thing. You just treat them the same way, you know? They just want to be with dad. Oh, well, all right, you know. I think Jairus, he would have had thoughts running through his mind. How long were they there? I don't know. Maybe it was just seconds. Maybe it was a very short period of time. But there they are. They're in the room. Then he, Jesus, took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Don't you love that? Have you lost somebody? Have you gone through something difficult? Have you had that experience where the pain, you hear the announcement, the pain is so severe it takes your breath away? You're trying to catch your breath. Have you been there? If you haven't, you will one day. And you can identify with you know, what they would have gone through, the difficulties that they would have had. And then to have that, that horrible, hopeless, this is the end, it is over, she's gone, we'll see her in heaven one day, 
but not on this earth, to have that eclipsed with amazement. Wow. Wow. I picture them grabbing that little child and rubbing her head and kissing her face and and tears, no longer tears of sorrow, but tears of joy. Verse 43 says, But he commanded them strictly that no one should know uh, know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. I think that that's always a wise thing. Feed us. I want to read something. Matthew's account, same story. Matthew ends his account with, And the report of this went out into all the land. <laughs> How, how do you keep that a secret? How do you keep it a secret? How do you keep it a secret when you have perhaps hired mourners out front? They're mourning, they're crying, they're weeping. They could hear it in the village, you know. And then you hear them laughing and scorning and insulting Jesus. Then you see them being shooed out of the house. How do you keep all of this a secret? And then you hear the rejoicing. You can't. Jesus said, do not be afraid, only believe. He said that to Jairus, remember? Guys, listen, I'm, I'm ending with this. It, it's, it sounds so promising. It's going to take me a while, but I am ending. I'm on, the, <laughs> I'm on the ending side of this. But Jesus knows how frail we are. He knows how frail we are. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, there is freedom in acknowledging how frail you are. It is him, 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 it is him. It's not my great faith. It's not your great faith. It's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. This gives people hope. Because there are some people who say, I have no faith. I have no, I'm just not strong. I'm a weak individual. And you say, but it's him. Call upon him. And there's hope in him and there's salvation in him. And it's not based upon your strength or, or the measure of your faith. It's him. But he says, do not be afraid, only believe. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3, the first part of the verse, you guys know it. It says, a bruised reed, he, speaking of the Lord, will not break. And smoking flax, he, the Lord, will not quench. You say, why do you read that? Because Jairus' faith was no doubt like a bruised reed barely hanging on. And like a smoking flax ready to be snuffed out. And so Jesus said to him, in essence, come on, Jairus, just keep on believing. Just keep on believing. Do you know what dad heard? I'm saying dad because we know his name, Jairus. This is what he heard. He heard from Jesus a word of faith. Do not be afraid, only believe. He heard from Jesus a word of hope. He was there when Jesus spoke to his little girl, And to the mourners, the child is not dead, but asleep. You'd hear those words and say, what? What? This is the second time he said this. What's going on here? And he heard from Jesus a word of love and power. I say to you, arise. And she did. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. I know you know these things. I don't ever tell you anything that you don't already know. But Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. The woman was not allowed in the synagogue because she was unclean. So two different lives, two different, I mean, you couldn't be further apart from one another. Jairus was known. He was one of the rulers of the synagogue. The woman, we're not even given her name. We don't even know what to call her. Just the woman. Jairus, he was married. He had a daughter, his only daughter. He was a family man. He may have been well off. We can assume that he had a good life, maybe even an easy life, at least up to the point that his daughter became sick. The woman, we don't know if she was married. We don't know if she had children. We don't know if she had anyone to help her, a mother, a father, a sibling. We don't know anything really about it. We know that she was poor because she spent all that she had hoping that she could get better 
Jairus, but his daughter was 12 years of age when she died and was resurrected. And the woman, she, for 12 years, for the lifespan of Jairus' daughter, I think of the contrast between that. When, you know, when Jairus and his wife were rejoicing over the birth of their daughter, this woman says to herself or, or maybe those around her, there's something wrong with me. The, the, the normal function, it's, it's, not, it's not working. I'm, I'm not stopping. I, I'm, it's just continuing. And so she begins 12 years of suffering, loneliness, and trouble. I wish that I could say, you guys come on up. I wish that I could say that for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that every heartache, that every difficulty, that every sickness will have an immediate happy conclusion. But you guys know better than that, don't you? No one is exempt from hardships or heartaches. No one is exempt from suffering and death. None of us know what each day may bring. We say that, but when, when bad things come, oh, we're always so shocked, aren't we? I am. There are people in this little church that I have known 20, some 30 years. Not many 30 years, but 20 There are some that fellowship in this church, and, and we have, uh, I would dedicate their children, or, or they would dedicate their children, and I would help them in that process before this congregation. You know, the congregation was always changing. And we've watched people dedicate their children, and then we have some people that had gone from that point to... Um, losing their spouse. And now they're widows or widowers. And you just, you know, you just, we just watch people go through the different stages of life. And I'll tell you what, we've seen some get bitter and get mad at God because maybe things didn't go the way they had hoped, but we see we we know others, others that are still here, and they're just grounded in the Lord. They're sad for their lives. We've watched some, you know, they've gone from a home to having absolutely no home at all. And now, what am I going to do? And there's no there's no life insurance. There's no means to take care of me. In my, I mean, we've watched people go through these types of things. This is just life. But, but I'll tell you, if we, have, if we have faith in Jesus, it's not a, a pipe dream. If we have faith in Jesus, if we're, if we're serving him, if we're following him, if we're trusting in him, I mean, truly, 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 we're not just coming to him when we have a need and then moving on to the next thing, but we are in him, we are walking with him. I am convinced that regardless of what may come, we will be able to stand in him. We will have a hope and a confidence that surpasses any, any sickness, any difficulty, any hardship that we may face on this earth. I'm convinced. Are you convinced? Because some of you have lived it. Some of you are living it right now. You know. It's not a theory to you. This is your life. This is, you, you know this to be true. Both of these people, Jairus and and the woman, when they came to Jesus, um, they had great needs, but they came to Jesus. And, and both of them had their needs met because they came to Jesus. Are you catching what I'm saying? We need to come to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. We need to be dependent upon Jesus in the good times, not just when everything goes south. But I'll tell you, listen, sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it's the train crash. Sometimes it's, 
it's the marriage ending. Sometimes it's the child playing the prodigal. Sometimes it's some disaster that brings a person to an abrupt stop in their life. And they're able, for some people, it's only then that they're able to look at their life and say, I've made an absolute mess out of my life. What do I have to show for it? Heartache and pain and scars and misery? I have nothing to show for this life that I've lived. And I'll tell you, if you're there today or listening, you know, on the live stream or or whatever, (laughs) call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. You say, I am saved, but I'm still, I've made a lot of poor choices. Call upon the name of the Lord. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord knows our frailties. The Lord loves his people. He loves his people. He has compassion. Do you know what that word means? You know what it means. It means one's heart going out to. That's Jesus. He he doesn't come to us and say, well, you know what? I've got a lecture for you now because you did this to yourself. We do that to each other. But Jesus doesn't do that to us. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray that that you would be the first one we call out to, the first one we go to, the first one we depend upon, Lord, that you would not be the last resort. We pray, Father, that there might be some even here or or listening, and they come to you when things get bad, and and then you move, and maybe you relieve the pain, or, or, or you solve a problem, and then they just kind of move on. It's not that they want you, they just want what they can get from you. We pray, Lord Jesus, as we're drawing to the close of everything, that we take seriously our walk with you. We pray, Father, you're the one who doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so we pray for our loved ones, for our friends, for our neighbors, that don't know you, we pray that we would do our part and share the gospel, tell them about Jesus, so that like the woman, maybe it's just simply based upon what they hear about Jesus, that they say, I believe in him. I place my faith in him. So we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.